Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us. A big network can help you move ahead in your career and make more money. That's true no matter your career path. But it's a learned skill, being able to strike up a conversation with a stranger or shoot off an email asking for time with someone. And it doesn't always feel natural. At its worst, networking seems transactional. At its best, it's about building new connections and making use of the ones you already have. My guests today are experts in networking here in the Twin Cities. They know firsthand how mixing and mingling and mastering small talk can help your career take off and flourish. And so this hour, they will help us go beyond the buzzword and they'll give us some practical advice that you can use in your life. As we talk, I want to hear from you too. Our phone lines are open. What part of networking do you really struggle with? What's the best piece of advice you've received when it comes to building a career network? And how has putting yourself out there bolstered your own career? Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000 with your questions or stories. You can also call us at 800-242-2828. But first, it's Monday, so I want to talk with Chris Farrell and get updated on what's going on with the economy. Chris is NPR's senior economics contributor and joins us most Mondays. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Hi. So last week, uh, more evidence that the U.S. economy is growing and inflation pressures are coming down. Is that still the case? Still the case. And remember, this is uh, the, the last year the economy was supposed to sink into a recession, right? Mm-hmm. That was the consensus forecast. We talked about that a lot. Well, the numbers came in and the economy grew by two and a half percent last year. So really, when you're looking at 2024, you have an economy that's growing, you have a low unemployment rate, and you have inflation coming down. That sounds good. It sounds really good. And last Friday, the news on uh, the inflation front, that was good as well. Okay, so here's a mouthful. It's the Fed's favorite inflation gauge, and it's called the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. Oh, my gosh. They need an editor. Yeah, really. <laughs> seriously. Yes. Okay, but tell okay. us about this. But it, 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 it fell to an almost three-year low in December. So again, as we're entering into the new year, good news on the inflation front. Now, numbers don't always translate well on the radios. But I think these numbers are pretty powerful. So when you look at core inflation, so this is inflation minus very volatile energy and food. Uh, Over the three months, 1.5%. Over six months, 1.9%. And remember, the Fed's target range is 2% inflation. So when you're looking over a short-term period of time, the last three months, the last six months, the Fed has achieved what it was set out to do bring inflation down to around 2%. So when do economists and investors think the Fed will start cutting its uh, benchmark interest rate, which would bring down other rates? Okay, so this is like the favorite game right now on Wall Street. When is the Fed going to start cutting its rates? Uh, The consensus expectation, which can change on a dime, by the way, but right now the consensus expectation is that they won't make any move until March because there's still a couple of governors out there saying, oh, we're worried this is a head fake. We're worried that inflation could uh, resurge. You have the troubles in the Middle East. But right now, the consensus is come March, the Fed will start cutting. So as you look back, why do people think, you know, people were so wrong 
about all of this. Yes, and this and now this is actually one of the really important things uh, that comes out of this whole experience. There's a model of the economy, and whenever you start seeing inflation rising, this model just comes out, and it says there's a trade-off between unemployment and inflation. And the only way to bring the unemployment, the inflation rate down, is to have higher unemployment. It's a very strong model, and yet when you go through the historic record, there's a lot of evidence that that model is wrong. There's been plenty of times where inflation's come down without a rise in unemployment. And last Monday, I moderated a panel for the Heller Hurwitz Economics Institute at the University of Minnesota. And one of the panelists was Gary Stern, former head of the Minneapolis Fed, and then Vivi Chari, who's a longtime economics professor at the University of Minnesota. And there is this theory that has been around for a long time, developed by the Minneapolis Fed and um, the University of Minnesota. And what it argues that what really matters is the credibility of the Federal Reserve. And so uh, – and you can if, – if the Fed is credible, then you can actually – the Fed can bring down inflation without causing a recession because people will act in ways that believe the Fed will succeed. It's a good story and it kind of explains what happened this time around. But what it also suggests is that the next time we get a bout of inflation – because we we're going to get another bout of inflation – the Jerome Powell Fed – has a lot of credibility, and therefore they may not have to raise rates as high as they did this time around. So the un, the employment rate uh, has been um, um, below four percent now for two years. The unemployment rate. Right. Um, you've told me that that's the best performance since the 1960s, but we're seeing a lot of layoffs. One, you know, over the last few days has hit me really hard uh, in the media business. The Los Angeles Times um, slashed its newsroom staff by more than 20 percent. The Washington Post, uh, they avoided layoffs, but they, they had a massive buyout offer. Uh, the layoffs. Yes. And so the layoff story. So, yes, you're right. Unemployment is low, but we're seeing layoffs in two industries and they tell very different stories. You have a lot of layoffs going on in the high tech sector, but the high tech sector is booming. And so there what seems to be happening is Microsoft uh, laid off some people in the gaming division because they want to put more resources into artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Plus, management kind of knows, look, we lay someone. I know I'm not minimizing it. You know, a layoff is a punch to the gut. It hurts. Mm -hmm. But in the high-tech industry, you're going to get rehired very quickly. It's a very different story what is happening in the media industry. This has been going on for over two decades. And we're going through one of those periods where the downward momentum is accelerating. And it's, it basically boils down to there's not enough revenue. Costs are too high. Uh, the biotech billionaire owner of the, uh, the Los Angeles Times says he's been losing $40 million a year. He bought the company in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, this really is – you can just look at the rise of the internet, social media, and very alternatives. And by the way, talk to anybody who's making sales. You know, I used to work at Business Week magazine. And you would talk to the salespeople there what they could sell an ad for in the magazine and what they could sell an ad for in the digital world is just so much lower. Mm -hmm. And what is so disturbing, and this is, you know, obviously these are colleagues, these are fellow professionals, and that's devastating. But we're also going into a critical election year. Which is why it's a Surprising, right? Yes, you and, see and you're seeing these layoffs. Right. But this is really, there is, you know, once the 
particularly with the local news, once the local newspapers, they lost um, the help wanted ads and they lost the real estate ads, they've never really recovered from that. Mm. Uh, walking in this morning, you're like, be sure to ask me about China's economy. China's economy is in trouble. What did you want to tell us about that? So uh, Evergrande, which is the giant real estate company in, in China, uh, $300 billion in debt, uh, court in Hong Kong, put it into receivership. And so really China's economy, you have a very high uh, level of, of youth unemployment. You have um, heavily indebted uh, government sector. The real estate sector is, is collapsing. Exports were down in 2023. So this is not good that a giant economy, the world's second largest economy, is stumbling, and it's stumbling badly right now. It affects everybody. It affects everybody. All right, Chris, thanks for getting us up to speed on what's happening with economic news. Chris Farrell, NPR's senior economics contributor. Oh, one more thing. We're talking about networking Yes. for the rest of the hour. What are your thoughts? What have you seen personally? Okay, so the value yes, of networking. I think – so. You know that I write a lot about older job seekers. You yeah. lose your job in your 50s and your uh-huh. 60s, and it's really hard to get another job. Age discrimination is there. The most valuable asset that somebody has when they're an experienced worker is their network, their, for, their former colleagues, their colleagues, the people at church or temple, the people that they know. Because you know what? You're not going to get a job through the algorithms. You're not going to get a job sending in a resume. You're going to get a job by someone saying, hey, you know, this is a good person and you should meet with so-and-so. The other thing is so many jobs are never posted. Small businesses don't post jobs. And so if you network, you tap into your network, you find out what's going on in the small business community in your local area. Guess what? You're going to find work. But you have to tell people you're looking or you're interested. Absolutely. Well, this is the thing. You can't stand in the corner like me and be shy and not want to talk to people until they come up and talk to you, right? You right. have to actually be out there letting people know let what's going know. on. All right. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, let's bring in our guests, our other guests now to talk about networking and the value of networking, the do's and the don'ts. David Edgerton is joining us, David Edgerton Jr. He is the founder and managing principal of the DEJ Group. That's an executive search firm. And prior to becoming an executive search consultant, he was the director of diversity equity, and inclusion at Anderson Corporation. He's also worked as an IT manager at Renewal by Anderson and Be The Match, and as a project manager at Best Buy. He is joining us from Bethesda, Maryland this morning. Hi, David. Hello, how are you? Good morning. Glad to talk with you. We also have in the studio with us Kathy Paper. Kathy is the owner of Rock Paper Star. That's a consulting firm here in the Twin Cities that provides career coaching and training. She works with business leaders to become better net workers. She whips us into shape. She's in the studio. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Hi. So let's start with defining this word networking, because it really, you know, it can seem like a buzzword. And I want to hear what does the word networking mean to each of you? So Kathy, how do you describe uh, what that is when someone asks you, like, what are you talking about? Well, networking is all about relationships. And one of the things that I found early on when we did a survey of people is 72% of people do not like the word networking. They just can't stand it. Oh, well, now you tell me before I wrote all of this. Yeah. Why? It has a negative... uh, It makes them uncomfortable. You use the word, nobody wants to be a schmoozer. People think networking is kind of transactional and fakey, and they don't like the word, yet we all need relationships to get our job done and to do what we do. And so what is it? Is it? I use the examples. It's like it's striking up a conversation. It's reaching out to someone. It's trying to uh, make sure people know you, right? Yeah. Networking to me is about building connections and building relationships with quality people so that you can get things done. 
David, what do you tell people when they ask you what what is networking? What what does it involve? Sure. Whenever I'm asked about networking, it's always about how can you be a resource to someone else and how they can be a resource to you. And that's really the approach that I always share with people that I either talk to about networking or where ask me, you know, how do I do it? You have to go into this becoming a resource to others, at least have that type of perspective. And when you do that, that helps you with some of those things that you're kind of afraid to do when you start networking. And so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with um, like introducing yourself uh, to people like Chris, I mean, use the example of like being in a room, but standing in the corner. Um, But that may feel what's most comfortable to a lot of people. Um, So David, we should like step up and like introduce ourselves to people. I think part of the fear when people talk about networking is how do I put myself out there and not embarrass myself or feel like I'm doing something that's, you know, I'll use the term sleazy because I can't think of a better word right now. <laughs> but how, how do you how do you promote yourself in the most positive light so you can be recognized, but at the same time, not overdo it. So you come off as you know pompous mm-hmm. or arrogant or whatever. People are very sensitive to their reputation and their perception to other people. So I think that it starts there with first having some confidence in something you've done, whether it's your experience, whether it's your, your job, your career that you're proud of, or maybe it's just your personality. Start with that and use that as a way to begin to promote the good things about yourself, you know, your accomplishments, um, things that you care about, your causes, your uh, different things that, you are involved with that, you know, make you who you are because you are uniquely made and designed a certain way. And that is something that's very valuable. I think a, a common mistake a lot of people m- make when they think about uh, networking is that, okay, you do that when you're ready to look for a new job, when actually you should always, right, Kathy, you should always be, you know, trying to meet new people and talking to people about what they do and, and sharing what you do. Yeah, so I I actually think we go from being a scaredy cat networker to being an all-star networker. And when you're a scaredy cat, it's because you don't have a network. You don't think about the relationships you have. You you know you need something from people, so you're kind of in that uncomfortable position. And I love, David, what you said about it's really about reciprocity because if I start building relationships where what can I give to somebody else – I'm about connection. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not in that uncomfortable position. When you need a job, you know you need a job. So you do need something. You need an informational interview or a connection. So anything you can do to get to that, how do I be confident in what I have, what I have to offer, starting with hobbies is sometimes a great way to build a connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you find that to be true also, David, that people like wait rather than, than trying to network all the time? That's true. And one of the things that I've lived by, and I hope I'm going to say this right, you should seed your network before you need your network. In other words, you should be cultivating things and relationships before you actually have to go and make a request. So the way to get to that is to be a resource first. So if you're trying to figure out how you can help someone else be better, and you start with that, down the road, that's going to come back to you, especially if you've been successful in making connections and being a resource, because that's what you'll be looked at as mm-hmm. a resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently uh, was able to secure, for example, a contract because of a networking type of relationship I had with someone that I had worked with 13 years ago. And this just happened in the last couple of weeks. So sometimes it can take some time before you know it comes back to you. 
But as long as you're starting with, hey, how can I help you? How can I be of service to you? And you, you start from that perspective or that uh, position, then it sets you up to be thought of mm-hmm. later when people are in rooms that you're not in and they say your name. So by helping, sometimes helping, starting by helping other people connect with each other, like, I think these two people could help each other. Let me introduce them. That in time, that could be beneficial to you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I do it all the time. Yeah. I I call that the networking assist. The, the networking assist. So you know how they keep right. scoring basketball yeah. and Angela, yeah. you and I have talked about basketball and mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's the networking assist. So you, yes, you want to score points, but you also want to give your contacts to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I want to give somebody a babysitter. I want to give somebody a lead on a job. I want to give somebody a client resource. I want to give somebody an idea for a story or anything you can do to add value and be a resource to your network. Yeah, because that's that schmoozing. First, it's just like the decent human thing to do, right? To try to help other people. But then that's how people then kind of see you and remember you as someone that lifts others up. I think the schmoozing thing comes from maybe previously when people tried to do networking. If you come into it with what can I get from you and that's how you lead, then you also have to take the step of, well, how do I cross and over and connect with the person when I'm actually going after something that I want for myself, mm-hmm. that's the that that is what you don't do. Uh, what you should do is, if you're meeting people, you should first do research on them to understand what they're into, what they're connected to, what what are their uh, interests, things like that, and use that as I call that a, an anchor point or a beachhead, for example, where you can now make a connection on something that you're interested in to even start the conversation. And then from there, your job is to learn as much as you can about the person you're trying to connect with so you can help them, so you can be a resource to them. But a lot of times people go into networking only with a self-centered approach of, I'm going to meet you because there's something I need from you or I want from you. And that's not how you do it. Right. Uh, I want to take some phone calls from listeners who are already starting to call in. We're talking about networking, uh, how to do it, what not to do. We're going to get some advice from our two guests. And I want to know what part of networking do you struggle with? What's the best piece of advice uh, advice that you've received that's really helped you? Uh, give us a phone call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. What questions do you have for our guests? Uh, let's go to Egan, where Dina is on the phone. Dina, thank you for calling in. Thanks for holding on. And what did you want to share or ask? Yeah, absolutely. Good morning. So I love what David said about seed before you need. And so my question would be, you know, what's the best way to follow up and just stay connected? So if I meet somebody, um, you know, today in event, but I I might think, gosh, I you know want to stay connected to them. What's the best way just to stay connected? Mm, How do you do it? Uh, Dina wants to know, what do you do? What's the next step, David? Sure, that's easy. Uh, What you should do is uh, you should basically create this very small tool that I use. And you, it doesn't cost you anything, especially if you use, uh, not to promote Google, but if you have a Google sheet, for example, I would put down the person's name, where I met them, and then I would set a little uh, timer, if you will, in there, or at least put a date in there where I would now follow up with them in, say, a quarter or, or a month or whatever the time frame you want to so that you can always come back to the same 
uh, piece of paper or the same spreadsheet to see how often you are talking to people and how often you are meeting people. What that does is it sets it up so that you have a reminder, a visual reminder that, hey, I talked to that person on January 29th at uh, 9.26 a.m. So I should probably set something up to follow up with them three months later or two months later. Through an email by um, how? How do you follow up? How do you follow up? That's a great question. So if you meet the person and you do exchange information, I would definitely do an email uh, so you have something written so you can always have some context of what the conversation was or what uh, you talked about. Have that as you can do it as an email. If they tell you in the first conversation that it's okay to call them or text them, that's fine too. But always ask the person who you're networking with how they want to be contacted. Don't make an assumption. Please don't do that. Uh, but ask them, hey, if I, I'd like to follow up with you in the next three months. You know, What's the best way to do that? Email, phone, text. They may say, hey, you can call me or send me an email. Or they may say, hey, work with my executive assistant if they have one and then set up a time where we can have lunch or coffee or whatever that may be. So definitely ask them what's the best way to follow up and then do it. That's the thing. Make sure you right. do it. Right. Uh, Kathy, as you work with people, Dina wants to know what's the next step. She connects with someone. They're like, oh, I, I like you. Let's stay in touch. Then what does Dina do then? Well, I like to do the when I follow up, I always want to make a connection of something where we clicked. So like reference, if we met at the event and we had a nice conversation about mm -hmm. that, we both like dogs, I want to put that in my emails. And then I want to follow right. up with even in that first email saying, can we have another conversation? Mm -hmm. So can I move the ball forward a little bit with the relationship? How could I be helpful to you on you know, your upcoming event? Do you want to send it to me so that I could promote it to my network or anything to get connected and always have that next meeting or next connection point. Right. I, you know, so I meet a lot of people and often people will suggest uh, show ideas or, you know, topics and guests. And I have to tell people, I'm like, I will never remember any of this. You have to email me because email A, it puts it in writing for me and it allows me then to share with the producers that I work with. I can manage it and I won't forget. But in real time, I just, I can't retain a lot of stuff. So people should feel when someone tells you like, no, really, this is the best way to stay in touch with me. Uh, or whomever, right? That really is true, right? Like if you have this written um, written thing with a time on it and putting those reminders in would be fantastic. Right. And remind them, you know, when you clicked, if you clicked at an event and somebody says, hey, let's stay connected, you want to have them remember that feeling. How mm -hmm. did you make them feel? Um, Kathy, tell me about your clients. Uh, tell me about Rock Paper Star. Who is hiring you uh, and who needs help, right? Yeah. It, well, it's a range of people. It ranges from somebody's, um, child that's just looking for a new job and wants to network and know how to reach out to people to companies that say, we want our employees to be better at representing our company out in the marketplace. We want them to be able to go out and network and tell the story of what their company does. And so I work with them and coach them on how do you network, how do you stay connected on and off the screen so that you know how to walk into a room confidently and build relationships where everybody wins. Did the pandemic make things worse? I mean, we got, many of us got really awkward during the pandemic, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> like, like some people were probably felt really good about their social skills. Um, and then the pandemic changed us, 
Have you found that to be true? Yes, yes. It I think to we, me. It happened, to, it happened to me too. I think the pandemic changed all of us. And in some ways it made it good because we can do things now where uh, we're connecting virtually, but then maybe we'll meet up. You know, David, when you come back into town, maybe we can all meet up in person because you look like an awesome you know, guy. And I love, I love the guitar, the guitar that you played on, on LinkedIn. So I watched that video oh, last night. A lot going on there yeah. in that sentence. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But, but hold I, got, on. I got to explain that, but okay. I'll, I'll do that a little bit in a minute. Well, you took me to a place. I wanted to ask about LinkedIn. I, I shared LinkedIn is one of my favorite websites. Uh, what do we know about LinkedIn? Is that the place to be in? And what do you put there? And what is the value of being on LinkedIn? Kathy? Um. Well, I, one, I don't know if I answered your question about being awkward because we're all awkward. Networking makes people awkward. You're building mm-hmm. relationships with somebody new, which is why it's so much nicer to build relationships with somebody you know. Mm-hmm. So LinkedIn is a place where we all kind of know each other a little bit because we're on LinkedIn, which says we want to network professionally. And you get to see a little bit about people on LinkedIn, but I still think it's a place where you want to imagine your polite and you're kind and you're going to be helpful and you're going to say something to other people or ask them for things in a way that says, you know, I'm new. I'm looking for a job. Could I talk to you for 10 minutes? Right. I see strangers on LinkedIn, particularly the young people just starting their career. I'm like, oh, let me connect that. that, that I want to help that baby. Right. Even folks I don't even know. Um, I think a lot of people have that response, particularly folks who are more advanced in their career in their industry would like to help other people trying to move up. Is that do you get yes. that feedback? Right. Yes, I see people using a lot. Allegedly, um, the statistic and and don't quote me on this. Ann Pryor is a, a better expert on on LinkedIn than I am. She's in the Twin Cities area, but supposedly, like seventy percent of people are on LinkedIn every single day. Right, professionals uh, they, every single day. David, Kathy just said she saw you playing the guitar on LinkedIn. So I have a lot of questions about that. But what <laughs> in general do we need a presence on LinkedIn, or is it you know is it any value of being there? Absolutely. In fact, uh, not only is it very valuable to be on LinkedIn, I've actually taken just for myself some courses on even how to optimize my LinkedIn presence and, and the thing with the guitar. So I actually did that this past weekend uh, that if you go to my page, you'll see me post a video or you see a video that I made demonstrating what networking can be. And what it was, was I go to Guitar Center on the weekends because I am a musician. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I met a person who also played the same instru- instrument that I played on the keyboard. And we started playing together, even though we did not know each other. So what I was trying to do with that is show this concept of networking, where first you start with that common thing. In this case, something that we both knew and we played together and traded off solos and traded off you know, featuring each other. And it's just the two of us. And this was recorded by the person behind the register. I didn't even know it was being (laughs) recorded. (laughs) So he recorded it. And then at the end, if you follow it all the way to the end, you'll see me stop playing and go over and shake his hand and embrace. And then he asked me, what's your name? (laughs) So after all of that, he's asking me who I am. And then we start to have a conversation, which is not on video. But that's how you begin to do networking. You first start with that common thing. And on LinkedIn, what you should be doing is trying to first, when you introduce yourself to people on there, because it is in a digital space, find the common thing between you and the other person, which requires some research, and then reach out about that. Maybe it is 
your your team that just won or lost headed to the Super Bowl, for example. I don't know if it's that. Mm-hmm. It could be that. But it could be just something as simple as, like, in my case, music. So I do this live, but then I put it on LinkedIn to say, hey, this is something that I do outside of executive search or recruiting. So musicians may reach out to me and say, hey, I see that you are a musician. Hey, would you like to like, connect or something like that? So that's why I kind of do those kinds of things, to demonstrate that principle on the digital platform. And LinkedIn has changed over the years, Kathy. You were saying from when it first started to what it is today. Uh, what are some of the changes that you've seen? Well, LinkedIn has always been the most professional place of any of the social media tools, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. Um, I think LinkedIn is changing a little bit in that people are getting more casual there. They're posting more things about their personal life. Um, They're making some more connections, but I see more conversations happening. Mm -hmm. It used to be people would make a post, one or two people would make a comment. Now Mm -hmm. you see conversations, you see a lot more influencers on LinkedIn, there's a lot more um, content being shared, There's there's more video being used on there. I think LinkedIn is evolving Um, But I still think it's the professional place where you want to have your presence up to date. So if you haven't updated your LinkedIn in, say, the last year, I would go in and, and, as David said, optimize it. Words that you want to be found for. Put your experiences in there so that people know what you're about, what you've accomplished. You know, uh, recruiters and hiring places, they're looking for people. And if you don't put your best foot forward, how are they going to find you? And Chris Farrell has said often a lot of jobs are never posted. They're, you know, so the way that people even find out about them and apply for them is through word of mouth or through direct contact. Right. You've seen that. Yeah. I actually um, heard a statistic, I think, if I'm going to quote it, so it's right. So we're good with that. I think this came from CNBC. 70% of the jobs that are out there that people can go after are not posted. They're not on any job boards. They're nowhere. It all happens through who you know and networking. Seventy percent of them, especially at the we'll call it the executive level, you know, mm-hmm. director, vice president, C-suite. So if you're aspiring to get to that level in an organization, those jobs don't show up on LinkedIn. They don't show up on Indeed. They don't show up on some of these platforms where people normally go to get those positions. Uh, so that's just something that I thought was fascinating. Uh, let's take another call from a listener in Edina. Tom is on the phone. Good morning, Tom. What what questions or, or stories do you want to share with us? Um, I just wanted your listeners to know about job networking groups through churches. Mm. Uh, employers will send uh, applications to the church. The church will hold a meeting. Uh, I know of at least 17,000 people looking for jobs that are part of these groups. Uh, employers save the cost of advertising a job. Um, the people s- scroll through all these different pieces of paper, choose the job they want, and then apply. Uh, I personally am a contractor. I have been a contractor for 40 years. I have not been unemployed one day. So I highly recommend these groups. Mm, thank you, uh, Tom and Edina. So if we think about spaces where you know lots of people are gathered together, there are lots of different um, opportunities we have that we may not even be thinking about. But he's making an example, you know, of a church networking group. Do you hear about these, Kathy? 
Yeah, there are a lot of great groups um, at the churches that have been going on for years where they bring in speakers, people come that are in transition, people come that have been in transition but now are employed. It's great spaces to to look for work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are networking groups. They used to be listed in the newspaper. Now you could probably find them online of networking groups near me. Um mm-hmm. And, and you know, David, are you finding, are people, well, obviously now people are feeling more comfortable about getting out and doing more in-person, um, you know, events. Um, are you seeing a change in, in, in just people being, you know, having more opportunities to talk to people and, and finding out, oh, like, I, I can do this networking thing pretty well because it's, it's easier? Yes. I think the easiest thing to do is start first with your circle and then, and, and I'm calling your circle Maybe you went to college and you've got college buddies. Maybe you joined a fraternity or sorority and you've got those folks. Maybe you have a church group. In fact, uh, the church groups are the, uh, I'll say, undervalued uh, groups for networking uh, because people don't necessarily tie my church group or my faith to, hey, there may be someone sitting there who knows about an opportunity Mm -hmm. that you could be good for, but because you haven't put yourself out there in the church group or put yourself out there where people could know that this is something you're looking for. You you can't make the connection. And that's what networking really is about connecting opportunities to people that are looking for opportunities. But again, you have to tell people, you have to let people know, right? There's there's some reluctance. And, you know, David, I know you have a, a, you know, networking is personal to you. It uh, has really been an important part of your own career path uh, through ups and downs. Uh, Can you share a little bit about that, what it's meant to you personally? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, between different job events and life events, I've always had people around me that I could go to no matter what's going on, whether I started my firm, whether uh, I uh, was laid off from a job, whether I was looking for a new uh, or opportunity in a new state. I've lived in like five states (laughs) over my career, for example. Uh, There's always been some kind of connection that I've had to rely on in order to take advantage of what the next step in my life journey was. And I think that that's important because you need support around you. I, I, I have it, this thing called the, the personal board of directors. Uh, and I talk about that uh, a lot where that includes three people, the person you aspire to be, the person that's on your level and the person that aspires to be you. So when you're thinking about networking, you need those three people in your network. Somebody you aspire to be to help you continue to be hungry to go toward that. Someone that's kind of on your level because it keeps you uh, grounded. You know, if you and I uh, are going through the same kinds of things, then we can support each other. You need that in your network. And then, of course, you need the person that aspires to be you. And what that does is that keeps you humble. It tells you that, hey, I came from a place, now I'm where I'm at, and I'm going somewhere else. So that keeps you kind of connected to your community, to your your tribe, if you will. So if you have those three people in your network, and it could be more people in those groups, but if you have those, I call that a balanced network. 
because wa- it keeps you balanced. I want to speak to people who have been laid off because I know um, what a toll that takes on someone and how hurtful and embarrassing that can be, even if it had nothing to do with their performance. And so that has got to make it difficult to, to search for work after you've been laid off because you're feeling hurt and just going through so many emotions. Kathy, have, have people shared that with you? Like, I don't know that I can do this because I'm feeling wounded. Right. Well, when you lose your job or if you're looking for your first job, it's a really tough time because within about 30 days, you start to lose your confidence. You lose your Mm -hmm. self-esteem a little bit. You know, if you were nervous to network before that, it becomes even more challenging, which is where you want to find somebody that's your job buddy, somebody that you can meet with every week where you say, "Okay, we're going to stick together until we both find jobs because it's Mm going to happen. You know, I don't know anybody that's been employed for unemployed for 20 years. Right. Mm -hmm. You find a job um, and you pick. Pick yourself up, and if you have that job, buddy, somebody to meet with every week, as well as you know, if you can can invest in a coach, it's a great way to have somebody point you in the right direction, share some ideas, you know, tell you your resume is good, you know, help you remember why, or, or if you've you know gone to a school, go back to your college, you know, school. Everybody will find something eventually, um, but it's just really important to stay connected with those people um, and. It makes a difference. And David, what do you say to people who have been laid off about um, like getting back up and, and finding maybe a better job? This is such a great question because I'm actually doing more work this year with people who have experienced that. I'm, I'm actually working on a book on that uh, because what happens is you you get this blow out of nowhere sometimes, especially if you don't see it coming. Right. You know, it's like if you follow boxing, that shot that you catch and you didn't know it was coming will knock you out <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. thing. But then you have to realize, oh, okay, that happened. So now I have to get up. One of the things that I would say is use it as an opportunity first to reflect on what you've done to one, make sure you're doing the right work that you should be doing as far as, you know, maybe you want to do a pivot into a different area, or maybe you want to do something more impactful. Maybe you want to do something just totally different. But definitely reevaluate, you know, kind of where you are. Use it as an opportunity to explore the things you really want to do and try to find something that's going to take more out of you from a standpoint of what you're really about, your passion, your your interests. Make sure you're doing the work you really want to do that's going to get you up in the morning and not just go get another job because you may need a check. Use that as an opportunity to figure out what your true work is. And then go from there. And, and I tell you, um, there are people I've come in contact with who have changed jobs. I'm one of those. I left technology and got into recruiting as an example, a real serious career pivot. Sometimes it takes a layoff for that to happen. Because mm-hmm. if you're all, if you're working, 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 and you're in this on this path, you never really take a time to say, okay, am I on the right path? Because you're just kind of doing it every day. To look so, up and see what else is out there, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You hold your head up and say, wait a minute, let me let me see, is, is, do I really want to do this? Why mm-hmm. am I doing this again? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, unfortunately, the layoff just kind of cuts you off from it so that you're kind of there. And now you're like, okay, I don't have this job at the moment. But now that I'm kind of in this weird little space, let me actually – get comfortable with who I truly am and what I really should be doing. And let's see if there's something that pulls on that from me, because that's going to actually make you more fulfilled in the next step that you take. 
Let's take, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, Kathy. I was just going to add on, I, you know, I'm thinking back to all the people I've worked with that are looking for work is the best thing you can do is volunteer. Volunteer somewhere, volunteer to something you're passionate about, get yourself involved in something while you're looking for a job, but you can volunteer, you'll meet people, you'll meet mm-hmm. people that are involved on a committee. You know, there's a, a big fundraising event that uh, my friend hosts the Blue Moon Ball. You were the MC for it, you know, Is that years for ago. Colon cancer. Colon cancer, yeah. yep. Yeah, I met and, some nice folks. You met some great people there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. great people, and it was sort of born out of that community, and now it's, you know, in its 10th year, but to volunteer, mm. to get volunteering involved in something, you know, that just gives mm-hmm. you that oomph of, okay, I can do this. Exposure. Uh, more phone calls from listeners in Minneapolis. Nikki's on the phone. Nikki, thank you for waiting. What did you want to share or ask? Hi, Angela. Thank you so much for having mm-hmm. this conversation about networking. I just wanted to share my experience. I uh, work at a nonprofit food hub, and food systems and local food is just the thing I care about the most. And to have recently expanded my network to joining the Minnesota Farmers Union, to uh, being a CSA member, to uh, I'm on a volunteer board uh, for an organization that runs some farmers markets in the Twin Cities, has just been, I'm not like seeking a new job, but just I'm seeking my people. And community has so many like health and wellness benefits. Um, And I I think the side effect that I enjoy most of my networking efforts is not transactional in any way except in like joy. It just brings me so much more joy to have a bigger network of like-minded people that care about the things that I care about. So Mm. thank you for having this conversation today. Thank you, Nikki, for calling in. Uh, Let's go to White Bear Lake where Jennifer is on the phone. Good morning, Jennifer. What do you want to tell us about networking? Good morning. Thank you so much for this conversation. I have a question about how to effectively or appropriately um, engage in LinkedIn when I have a career that I love with a lot of very engaged coworkers also on LinkedIn. And I also have a side hustle that fulfills a very different side and passion for me that's very meaningful. Um, and I, would li- I haven't shown up on LinkedIn with the side gig. Um, <laughs> I guess I've been afraid that it would potentially signal like, oh, is she not committed, uh, which in, is not at all the case. So I would like your guest insight on, you know, am I just missing the boat and lots of people with side gigs, you know, well, are also showing up in this dual way on LinkedIn? Well, uh, Jennifer, w- quick question. Can you tell us a little bit about the side hustle? Like what type of work is it? Um, I work in the plant-based wellness space okay. in some, with a really leading edge okay. company. Um, I'm very, I'm very passionate about mental health. And so it kind of connects mm-hmm. with that. All right. Um, but I just, you know, I guess I've held back from putting that on my on my profile. Uh, but I also feel like I'm really missing out on networking through LinkedIn with other oh. people who would, who would, for whom that would be meaningful and not my career work. Okay, let's ask uh, David and Kathy about this. Uh, any advice for Jennifer, David? Can, can I take that one, please? Go ahead. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but I kind of am. I believe that a side hustle is something that everybody from the CEO of the largest company down to whomever should have. And here's why. The side hustle is not necessarily about money, but here's what it really is about. If there is a skill that you want to develop, the best way to do it is to, one, like we talked about earlier, volunteer for someone and develop the skill or start a side hustle. I did that 18 years ago because one of the things I wanted to do was become a better public speaker so I could one day be on an interview with Angela Davis and NPR. <laughs> I started years ago 
with the idea that I needed to work on public speaking. So what I did was I wrote letters to universities and said, you know what, do you have a class that I could teach? And what I did was I got a couple of teaching opportunities at local universities. I taught at Hamlin, which is there. I taught at uh, Bethel University, taught at the U. And the next thing you know, now I'm an adjunct professor. And they, they started paying me for that. So I did that for 18 years. I was the teacher of the year at Hamlin University in 2016 so from a side hustle. So I use LinkedIn to basically say, hey, I have this desire to speak and to be able to help people. And here's what resulted from doing that. As long, now from a legal standpoint, as long as there's no conflict of interest between your side hustle, what you do there, and what your main job is, there shouldn't be an issue with you sharing that Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Because what it does is it shows that there's another side of you than what you're doing in your main job. And I think that's a piece of authenticity Mm -hmm. that would help you as far as networking with other people. Kathy, uh, uh, Jennifer has a side hustle, a focus on wellness. That's, I mean, how does she get that word out but not have it be a distraction for what her main career is? I would put it on LinkedIn. I would look at your LinkedIn one. I'd see if you know anybody that has a side hustle and is on LinkedIn and see how they promote it or how they let the world know what they're doing. But I think you could make a post about it. And, you know, you may not post every single day about your side hustle, but to post once a month and let people know what you're doing or to tell them you're hosting an event or to have it be a passion. Um, I agree with David. It's, you know, it, it's a good thing to have. We all have other interests. And right. I think I think actually okay. back to COVID, COVID changed. You got to see more sides of people right. and what they do that I would say go for it and, and see what happens. In our last two minutes, I'm going to take one more phone call. This is Amy in Minneapolis who has a question. Go ahead, Amy. Um, yes, good morning. I'm calling because I'm in a position where I end up mentoring a lot of younger, you know, early college grads, friends of my kids, and I'm fairly successful and far along in my career. And my question is how to translate the importance of networking. And I'll give you a real-time example. I just texted my daughter and a few of her friends who I'm helping with the job search that 70% of jobs aren't even posted. And the reaction I got was, well, that's really rude. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay. Amy, in the interest of time, I'm going to let our guest answer this. David, in 30 seconds, uh, our, yes. the 20-somethings who are, you know, are like, what? Uh, what advice do you have for them and, like, why they need to, to network and how it's done? Oh, you definitely need to network. In fact, I think that they, the way they communicate today, you know, they they have a head start. I mean, you know, they're not on Facebook and some of these other things, right? They're doing the Instagram thing, the TikTok thing. But either way, when you're connecting with people and, and you know, putting that content out there like that, you are networking. The question is, what is the purpose of doing it? You know, are you just doing it because it's fun or is there another purpose? To me, so they need the to purpose, be thoughtful about what they're putting out there. They need to be thoughtful right. of what they're putting out there. And I will tell you, as an executive search consultant, <laughs> you really need to be careful about what you're putting what out you there. Put. Because if you be, as you start to look for you know roles and different jobs, it is part of the search process to evaluate uh, you know social media content as right. far as bidding people. So you want to make sure whatever you're putting out there, 
you're putting out your best foot for it. All right. We're out of time. But thank you so much uh, for all the great advice that we've heard uh, this morning about networking. Uh, David Edgerton, Jr., the founder and managing principal of the DEJ Group and executive search firm. Thank you, David. And Kathy Paper, the owner of Rock Paper Star, a consulting firm that provides career coaching and training. Thank you, Kathy. This conversation was produced by Gretchen Brown. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.